Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arter. Welcome back. Welcome. It's another week. And no, remember, this is that thing that oh, I did after okay, the opening right. credits. I'm not thanking you. For, okay. Anyway, welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, Matthew is already on the Zoom and we are ready to discuss season eight, episode 20, X Marks the Spot which had an original air date of March 7th, 1987. Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. And I would like to begin by saying that I feel like I know the title of the podcast is Face, Let's Face the Facts. Mm-hmm. It, might, it might need to have an AKA. Um, you, know, you know how... Trixie Mattel and Katya, who's the dear friend, have that little talk show called. Yes, I love it. You know that they do. It's adorable. Um, We may need to call this because (laughs) I I, after listening to the past, like I've been re-listening and like if I'm bored and I'm all caught up on my podcast, I'll just go like spin on the podcast and see which episode comes up. And I feel like recently every comment from me begins with Ugh, or, <laughs> or I, oof. I, oof is my favorite <laughs> oof. but it's just i don't intend to be that way and i've just up my meds so hopefully hopefully as we enter into season nine i i can get away from going ugh for everything but i'm not making any promises about this turd we're about to fucking talk about (laughs) but it's yeah i'm gonna need some of those meds myself because i am like where we are now i'm i'm trying to find the good and there is there is some some stuff here we can pan a little bit get a little bit of gold Uh, and piggybacking on what we talked about getting guest stars i was at a callback yesterday and i saw michael colavolpe friend of the Mm -hmm. show and Kurt Von Schmidthau, friend mm-hmm. of the show. And I said to both of them, we've got to get you back on. I have said to David, I've mentioned your na- both of your names in the past couple of weeks. And, <laughs> and both of them said, you're in the Beverly Ann seasons now. Not interested. No. <laughs> so it's not for lack of trying. Sorry if you're getting sick of just hearing from us too, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a little challenging, shall we say, and and scheduling ain't making it easy and actors fucking are busy again. Jesus yeah, Christ. Now that people are working again, it's harder. Yeah. Luckily, and, luckily. And when they're not working, they're trying to get the work or they're at auditions or callbacks or whatever. And that makes me happy for my community. But for the pod, it's like, oof. <laughs> to quote my wonderful co-host. Yeah. Well, let's get to it. You ready for some nuts and bolts? Oh, I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this one, we have story by 
Catherine Green and Richard Gurman, Teleplay by Michael Maurer and Michael Porius. Yeah, it took four people to come up with this baby. Wow. So Catherine Green and Richard Gurman are both writer and producers for the show, but they are only uh, here for this season. They will be gone by season nine. Uh, both would go on to produce and write many shows, but their main credit you find for both of them is that they were some level of producer for Married with Children. She produced or executive produced or associate produced 147 episodes of Married with Children, and his count is at 116. So that's the big one that's in their IMDb page for Catherine Green and Richard Gurman. We have them to thank for all of those wonderful classic episodes of Married with Children. How lovely to know they cut their teeth here. I just saw they're rebooting that with the original cast as an animated show. Really? Yeah. And I just have, I mean, fucking Ed O'Neill. I mean, once Modern Family caught on, he loved to do interviews where he's like, it's so nice to be on a show that I'm proud of, that I can tell my family and friends to watch. Oh, Modern Family is so good. Married with Children was garbage. Oh, until you're out of fucking work, Ed O'Neill. And now they're (laughs) like, hey. And he's, oh, I'm suddenly willing to re- Revisit Al Bundy. Fuck off. Ugh. <laughs> there it was again. Ugh. Ugh. That's my new talk show. Ugh. With, With Matthew, Matthew Arter. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will give him, honestly, I will give him Married with Children in that it never should have taken off. It never should have gone. It was on for like 11 years. And to find yourself in the middle of that being like, ah, well, there's this shitty show about an awful family where I play a terrible father, but it's, you know, what could it possibly do? How far could this possibly go? And then the paychecks start coming in. I mean, you know, the fact that it was kind of crass, he could pass it off, meaning that oh, it just wasn't as family friendly as I would have wanted while I was raising my kids. Yeah. Mm. So our teleplay writers, Michael Morer, we've discussed him so many times. This is his last of the six episodes he would write for the Facts of Life. And remember him, he's the cartoon guy. He was always a cartoon writer and would go on to continue being a cartoon writer. This was a brief detour on that uh, career journey. And he wrote the, uh, the most low-key episode he wrote was Fast Food where Blair works at the um, Sombrero Palace or whatever the fuck, the taco train. Um, but he wrote Come Back to the Truck Stop. He wrote The Candidate. He wrote Out of Peak Skill. He wrote Another Room. And pretty much all of those had some sort of a nightmare, cartoonish, broad sequence of some sort. And, uh, and it was to our great shock that he did not write 62 Pickup, because I would have thought that would have been something he had contributed to. And uh, Michael Porius, second of five episodes, he previously wrote The Wedding Day, where Joe almost married that hot Cuban guy. And he will continue on with the show. He'll write Rites of Passage at the end of this season and then two additional shows next season. And our director, guess who? John Boab. Correct. 
right. we need Ooh. not discuss it further. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here is our synopsis. Are you ready for this? Oh my God. Let me sit down. I, I will preface this by saying this is not a TV guide synopsis. This is a longer synopsis. Yeah. Halfway between Listeners. TV guide and line by line. Yeah. Listeners, this is when you want to go ahead and press times two on your <laughs> on your podcast listener device. <laughs> okay, here we go. Beverly Ann receives a surprise visit from her ex-husband, Frank Stickle. In typical sitcom dialogue fashion, Frank says he has something important to discuss. Beverly Ann immediately misinterprets this to mean him wanting to get back together with her. Frank has a heart attack and ends up in the hospital. While they're in the waiting room, they meet a lovely woman who turns out to be Frank's new wife, Noreen. Beverly Ann had no idea that he even remarried. Frank's attack turns out to just be gas. But while he's still in the hospital recuperating, the reason for his visit is revealed. He wants to sell his and Beverly Ann's old house. Beverly Ann's immediate reaction is absolutely no. Then she works through some shit, and then she says okay. Meanwhile, Joe is trying to figure out what she wants to do for a career path. Now, in her senior year, two months before she graduates from college. The end. Oh. Ooh. All right. Oh, you, you, there's surprise joy in your voice. Much shorter than I thought it was going to be. Okay. They, I, I still had, there was still some evolving I needed to do without judgment. Okay. All right. Okay, David, fear and shame. You don't make beautiful art when you're living in fear and shame. Live in your happy place. Be in your happy place. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's start talking about this freestyle. What do you think? Give me give me a, a subject matter and let's talk about it. Uh, I, again, you've just trained me into into my notes being like scene by scene. So I'm going to try. Oh, but, like, <laughs> I'm just, sorry. <laughs> I just have like I uh, like just so many things. I, I don't want to like blow my load right at the beginning. It, has Dick Van Patten always been this fucking terrible? <laughs> has he always just been the worst actor that has ever become famous? He's wow. just dreadful. He's Interesting. Beyond dreadful. Okay, uh, compared to John Goodman, better or worse? Oh my God. Way worse than John Goodman. Whoa, that's saying something for you. I mean, he's he's so broad that and so I don't know if un, unwilling or unable to get rid of his queen's accent. This character <laughs> is from Wisconsin, Dick. Dick. <laughs> yeah. When do you expect her? That accent, <laughs> she's a very nice person. She's from Queens, New York. <laughs> oh, and he's one of those actors where like, okay, dear listeners who are not actors, 
sometimes in a script, they will put like, like stuttering words where it says like, I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen. Now, as an actor, you take that and you let it come out organically. He comes across to me as one of those actors where it's like, I have five eyes in this, in this line. So I'm, and I'm going to say every single one of them because that is how the script is and the script is my Bible. And so we get, I, 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 I don't know how, what I'm going to do rather than just in the moment. Like I, 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 I don't know what I'm going to do. It's I, 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 I don't know when she's, I, anyway, I have so many things to say about every scene he's in. He ruins and it's just. Oh, now, did you watch Eight is Enough growing up? God, no. I think you're too young, aren't you? That fucking show ran forever. Uh, Not as long as you'd think. It only ran for five seasons from 77 to 81. And then That's they did five seasons too long of <laughs> Dick then, Van Patten on your screen. And then they did a um a, a few reunion movies in the 80s. But I mean, that was a you know an iconic role. Eight is enough for for him. That's who he always was to me, Dick Van Patten. And I guess was he less broad in that? I I'm trying to remember now, but yeah, he he to me is doing what I see as textbook sitcom acting there is no subtlety to it and and the fact that we we were just talking about Howard Cosell last month the fact that he is the person that he is and nobody else the one thing you can say for Dick Van Patten is he was unique he always played it as the same character he was the same as the father as this you know this this uh, gentile from queens he's not he's not doing the the jewish queens routine but the same accent and uh yeah dick van patten and his comb over uh really were uh, a force of nature in the 70s and into the 80s and uh, i agree with you he's a very how shall i say specific actor and um and i liked his work in the mel brooks movies did you not okay. like him in high anxiety and space balls. That was, he was on par with what was happening. Mel Brooks is broad. It's all that kind of broad. Mel Brooks himself is, is this way. Yeah. I, I mean, so, I mean, he fits in to those, those shows. And I, it's one of those things where it's like, is he in on the joke? Did they, did, is somebody like, dude, we got to get Dick Van Patten for this because he's just so fucking ridiculously over the top. And <laughs> I don't know if Dick Van Patten showed up knowing he was supposed to be funny as mm-hmm. the, as the guy hoarding the cans of air in Spaceballs. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if there's some producer somewhere. It's like, we got to convince Mel Brooks to get this fucking Dick Van Patten guy in here. Cause he's so, he's like Michael Caine in the Muppets for Christ's sake. He's playing yeah. it. I don't know if he's playing it serious as a heart attack anyway. So, <laughs> but uh, I'm just saying, I really I enjoy him hatred. in those. And I clearly, I didn't have as big a problem with him in this uh, that you did. And it didn't even occur to me that he was supposed to be from Appleton, Wisconsin. Weird that he just shows up in town and at one point doesn't even say, I, I could have just called, but it's like, so called. I could have just called. I could have just called. But um, anyway, it's, 
Uh, yeah. He is. It's an interesting role for him. Uh, casting wise, I don't hate him in terms of, yeah, the, the regional accent aside, playing it sitcom-y, I believe him. I'm like, yeah, I believe him to be this guy who's kind of a dick and doesn't think he's a dick that kind of just does whatever the fuck he wants. Like, I I kind of got that vibe. I think this was good casting, even though you don't necessarily like him as an actor at all times. You don't like that? You you wanted the whole thing, right? Who did you I, want in this? Name, name an actor. I, Let's think of an actor. Fucking anybody but dick I, if i were the casting director he walked in i would have been like i okay i don't how do we put this on an audition notice anybody but dick van patten <laughs> for christ's sake um, I, I i i don't have an answer for you as to whom should have played this um but just and beyond his acting the writing then the, the amount of notes i have for his scenes hmm. uh like him ringing the doorbell and Joe answering the door to a total stranger and just such a weird interaction. Um, she opens the door for him and she goes, um, hi, can I help you? If I answer the door, I'm not the first one to speak. First of all, you rang my fucking doorbell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? So yeah, like I'm open the door like, yeah, what do you want? And can we take a message um well it's kind of personal <laughs> and then the message is i'm frank stickle that's not personal how how is that personal frank dick i'm just gonna call him <laughs> dick because he's such a dick through this whole thing so like they're writing well it's kind of personal and he's Yes, I realize I'm making him snagglepuss, but the thing is, <laughs> it's kind of personal. Uh, uh. But yeah. his message is, "I'm Frank Stickle." That's not personal. I, I can't disagree with you. No, that's and, not well written. And a room full of women, and he goes, "May I come in?" No. Why? <laughs> no. The person you want to see is. We've made it clear she's not here. No, you may not come in. When do you expect her? None of your fucking business, ex-husband that we've heard about. We will let her know you stopped by and now the Leave your phone number. Call. She will call if she feels like it. See yeah. you later, dick. <laughs> I, got, I got to figure out. And the fact that they've got to like let you in on it. I'm Frank Stickle. Joe, loud as anybody. Beverly Ann's ex-husband? I know. Yep. Yeah. Yes, Joe. Mm. Yes, indeed. So that's um, that's just my first couple notes about his scene, his first scene. <laughs> Never mind the fact that, like you said, and the show opens just I'm already in a bad mood because the show's opening is Tootie being Tootie. They're sitting at breakfast oh, all these God. years and we aren't even talking over breakfast. What have we become? Call him your tits, Tootie. <laughs> That's exactly why we're not talking over breakfast, because we've all fucking lived together for seven goddamn years. <laughs> that is why we're not, we don't have to talk over breakfast, because we are fucking like, uh, shut up. 
Shut up and eat your fiber one. Fiber one. Fiber one cereal. Not a not a no-name brand. Not a black piece of duct tape covering the white logo of it. I was so surprised by that, that we saw fiber one. What did they pay to get the mention? <sighs> wow. And then Joe enters from the store reading her book. It's the morning. Why wouldn't she enter from upstairs? Mm-hmm. Why they have her enter from the store? What's she in there making sure there are no customers? Because they <laughs> sure aren't open. <laughs> it's so true. Obviously, they're not open because the whole goddamn cast is sitting there not talking over breakfast and Tootie's not having <laughs> it. So, how about ugh. Joe's insane shiny baby blue bathrobe jacket with the shoulder pads from hell? What in the actual 80s? Fuck. Oh my God. That's nothing compared to the blue one she wears in the next episode. So it's crazy. But I mean, Joe, like you said in the synopsis, deciding two months, what have you been working towards, Joe? What classes have you fucking been taking? (laughs) I'm sounding very angry and I'm not. You're just passionate. That's all. Again, obviously, I know it's before the internet and everything, but I got a book about careers that lists what careers are making. Is it, it, was, it was that a thing? Like hardback books that listed like you can do this career and get paid. Hardware trainer, like accountant, baker, bicycle repairman, TV VCR <laughs> repair, medical office assistant. <laughs> Do you want to make more money? <laughs> sure, we all do. That was a Sally Struthers reference for uh, the uninitiated. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> if they're listening to this, they know true. it. But I, I was that a thing? Like a, a actual hardbound book? That how out of date was that book? Was it printed this year, Joe? Here's a list of careers. Oh, I can make twenty six five as a computer analyst. Okay. Yeah, it does. That's got to be that's going to be out of date by the time you graduate, sister. <laughs> it does seem like it's some sort of a reference book that her advisor or departments would have some access to. But I don't know if such a book exists. I imagine it did. But yeah, it's not like you'd find it in the library because it would have to be updated every year. But <laughs> Which I know they print books that are updated every year, but it just again you're two months from graduation you have no fucking Uh, idea what you're like do not get me started on that that fact is in fucking sane please get started on it because i'm the only one that's been bitching and i haven't shut up (laughs) since we started uh well let me kind of just sort of completely change the subject and say just Thank as an FYI, you. all of the scenes, uh, the bits left out in the syndicated version are just little nips and tucks. There's no real scene missing or omitted or deleted. It's all just little things here and there that don't really affect uh, the episode or any information. So if you're watching the Daily Motion version, you're you're in good shape. Um, oh, one last Dick Van Patten thing. Oh, there's a, we're only allowed one 
we're only allowed one more Dick Van Patten thing because I have oh, okay. several well, more Dick in, Van Patten On things, the subject so matter, not the specifics, in the generals. <laughs> Dick Van Patten was in the first pilot movie for The Love Boat in 1976. It is on YouTube. <laughs> Cloris Leachman is a guest on it. Oh, fuck me. Oh, God damn She's it. He's paired up with Tom Bosley. The entire crew is completely uh, different. No one in the crew is the same. It's completely different. I don't know if they're supposed to be Captain Steubing and Julie or cruise director. I haven't gotten that far, but Dick Van Patten plays the doctor. So maybe he's that, that puss magnet that every woman wants to fuck. And it's <laughs> Matthew's doing an Archie uh, bunker, shooting himself in the mouth. <laughs> Thank God there was somebody at that fucking casting table when they're like, okay, it's going to sitcom. First thing we're going to do is fire Dick Van fucking Patton. <laughs> I have a feeling that's how he was known around casting rooms. Dick Van fucking Patton. And I, I have reason uh, to think that he was probably a perfectly fine, delightful gentleman to work with for how much he worked. They were going to make him the fucking sexy one. I don't know if the okay. interpretation was the same. I'm just saying he was the doctor. And if they can make Bernie Capel a fucking sex symbol, if they're going to try that shit, don't think they wouldn't try to pull, pull a dick on us. <laughs> don't pull a dick on me. I would like it just out in the universe. I am not for doing that for a TV talkaholic. Damn it. Damn it. That's what I wanted to. <laughs> uh, I have a feeling I'm going to be forced into it. Florence Henderson's in it. Don Adams is in it. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It's like, oh, the love boat. Yeah. Wow. Um, so when Beverly Ann does come into the room now, this time with Andy and with Orson Bean, Orson Bean's final appearance as Oliver, which I don't know what the fuck that's about, why we didn't keep him around. But um, yeah, she does introduce... Uh, Frank to them and does say, this is Andy. I'm adopting him. So Andy this week and next week I did look ahead. He still is calling her Beverly Ann. We haven't gotten into adoption is complete. He's calling her mom. Now that's still coming down the pike. At least we can credit the show for that. All right. So as I said, in the description, uh, there's this weird conversation where Beverly Ann immediately jumps to, he wants to get back together. He's going to propose. He wants to get back to get together with me. And but it's it's the writing of that terrible sitcom trope. Mm -hmm. I, I have something very important to ask you. And he's got both of her hands and their faces are right next to each other. And then he goes, will you give me a kidney? It's always, it's one of those things. Like, yeah, it, I like, thought it would be obvious. a chance. I came here because I thought we could discuss maybe making a brand new start. You know, we're in really? nebulous language like that, as opposed to what we later learn, he wants to sell the house. How do you say, well, I want to sell the house, but how do I make it sound like I want to get back together with you? Not. I have remarried. Why that he wouldn't lead with that? The perfect and thing. He's and again, not wearing know, a wedding ring. Oh, and he's not. Oh, I didn't even notice no. that. But to you know, this I am aware. This is just getting into the crazy verse right now. Asking this of the episode, but it's like Dick. You had the opening where he says, "Oh, so are you and Oliver seeing each other?" I'm really happy to know that you have someone because, well, 
one of the things I need to tell you is dot, 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 clutches his heart, has a heart attack. Okay. We could at the very least, you know, the one thing you can credit the episode for is he does say, is it warm in here? And then he's dabbing and sweating a bit. And Beverly Ann later says, I have never seen him sweat this much since the night that he proposed or some other stupid thing that's supposed to be a funny joke that isn't. But they try to play up that clearly something is physically going on with him. And then finally, when he starts clutching his chest and saying, call 911, uh, at least they do give some type of foreshadowing to that. The second viewing of this episode, I was like, okay, writers, all four of you, I will give you credit that you did try to say, oh, I'm just, you know, something's weird. Maybe it's a little indigestion. I don't know. Could you, you know, bring me a glass of water? But, um, yeah. This all comes to fruition when um, your cartoon writer has a ridiculous scene between Joe and and Beverly Ann with that goddamn plate and a muffin. Oh, God. And where she they tug of war this goddamn plate into as a as a means to get them out of the room into the store. And I, I just seriously, like, <laughs> yes. I, that's the I, and again, I'm all for whimsy, you know, <laughs> are you this week? Are you? <laughs> I wanted to be, but Dick Van Patten just sucks it out of me. But, oh, wow. Um, just all the energy out of the room. He just sucks everything up. But um, that scene where it's like, Jesus, let go. And then uh, that was one of the things I actually looked up. Oh, there's a car- there's our cartoon aspect of it. Because I knew that that guy mm-hmm. had written this. And I was like, oh, okay, there's the cartoon. We're tug of warring with a fucking plate and a muffin on it. Okay. Yeah. And the casting of Dick Van Patten. It's like, we need someone who is a human cartoon character. He's, you know, yeah. So after he has his heart attack and then they end up in the hospital, they're all in the waiting room, a little running gag of Joe being uh, uncomfortable in hospitals. And Which, uh, since when? Since when? Exactly. Not that we've really ever had a chance to see her there. She went but- to, she, she was at the birth of Blair's sister. That's right. And someone was like, oh, someone just came in with his guts hanging out. And Joe was like, hey, can I watch? There was there was something in an earlier episode where something gross was happening. And Joe was like, can I watch? Can I can I help? And and as a half Jew, I believe I'm allowed to say this. If you're going to make somebody fidgety in a hospital, wouldn't it be Natalie? Wouldn't it be the Jew? (laughs) Or Tootie, she's the child in the group. Make her. I would have rather seen Tootie be the be the one who's uncomfortable in in and also Natalie's the one whose dad has died. So maybe make her a little bit uncomfortable in a in a hospital. But her dad but was anyway. a heart surgeon. So she might have All right, been more I'll give you maybe make Tootie. Make Tootie. But and can I didn't, we write this off? Can we whimsy our way out of this by saying being in the maternity ward waiting room is very different than being in the emergency room. Can we whimsy our way to that at least? Are, but, are you are you implying which one is grosser? Because <laughs> um, I'm not sure I'm on board. Well, which completely. one has has more trauma and attached to it? Which which room has a little worse juju, as it were? 
me watching a woman try to push something the size of a watermelon out a hole the size of a lemon has is more traumatic for me i think <laughs> watching a human come through the raccoon layer of uh, i don't know but i don't know i certainly didn't need a 15 minute gag about a dead guy on a on a gurney when it was oh my god it's just food is that wacky hospitals put buffets on gurneys and cover them with sheets all the time whoa there's another cartoon moment yep you know it another mark moran or whatever the fuck his name is michael morer and then Mm. at the end when joe goes and says ah must be more food lifts up the sheet and it's not food we don't see but we know it's a body she runs makes a dash for the restroom like she's going to throw up runs out one direction and then uh, jumps over a dude mopping the floor to go to the other side like there's that little extra blip, like yeah. again there's a there's a Hanna Barbera sound effect that they really wish they could have dubbed in there but it's um, the sound of Fred Flintstone when he would um when he would bowl that yeah the lower one for when they start the car and then yes. the jump would be the, yeah, totally. We could totally do that if we had time uh. and cared. So all of this leads up to the moment when the doctor comes out of Dick's room and says, Mrs. Stickle, at which point Beverly Ann and another woman jump up and both say, yes. This other woman to whom uh, she had lent uh, a dime or a, a quarter for the payphone, very nice. A uh, pleasant, attractive older woman played by Lois Nettleton. The wonderful. The wonderful. She has already appeared on The Facts of Life, Matthew. And by appeared, we heard her on The Facts of Life. Earlier oh, that, this that's season, right. That's right. episode three, the radio call invoice when Tootie and Rudy are in the backseat of the car deciding whether or not they want to fuck and lose their virginity. He puts on some music and it's that's why the lady is a tramp. And it's like, that, 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 let's change the station. And then you hear a voice doing an imitation of Dr. Ruth. It's credited only as radio voice. But it is Lois yeah. Nettleton saying, there has recently been a dramatic rise in teenage pregnancy. Spot on, Dr. Ruth, by the way. Thank you. I'm a professional. Did you know Lois Nettleton was married to Gene Shepard? Gene as in male Gene Shepard who wrote A Christmas Story? Yes, I did know that. Well, you never told me that. <laughs> but why don't you tell our listeners the role for which Lois Nettleton is probably most recognized? Um, well, to our our gay listeners, she's definitely most recognized as Dorothy's lesbian friend, Jean, that falls in love with Rose on the Golden Girls. Lesbian. 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 But lesbian. to our even, our even gayer friends, she might be recognized from, as I recognized her when I saw her on the Golden Girls as um, the wonderful Dotsy May from um, the best little warehouse in Texas film. Starring um, Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton. I don't remember Maybe. her from Best Little Warehouse. I, I'm not that familiar with that film. I've only seen it once well, and I didn't pay attention because it's not very really, good. Uh, it's not the show. They really cut her 
part down. Yeah. And because her character in the movie, um, Dotsi May, um, is in love with the sheriff and is kind of like the sheriff's girlfriend, but knows that he goes and sneaks around. So there's a little more character development, I guess, in the play. Anyway, yeah, she was in the... I'm told there's a lot more sub-stories in the stage version of this little warehouse in Texas, and they cut all of it to put more emphasis on Bert and Dolly. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. They cut her song, they cut... Anyway, so, yeah. And last note about Lois Nettleton is that, uh, talk about a veteran character actress, 124 credits in a 53-year career, bravissima. She was always working, bitch. You go, girl. Yeah. So this moment of, uh, you know, the, the two wives, that's how we go to the commercial with the, wait, what, huh? And that's when it's like, oh, he didn't tell you about me. What a dick. Uh, when they get into the room and Beverly Ann is able to talk to him, Dick Van Patten well, They does... find out what happens, though. They find out what happens, because out in front of God and everybody, the doctor says, you can see him now. He's fine. You should have him back tomorrow. For gas? Yeah, he had gas <laughs> and not a heart attack. Is that a thing or is that just a TV trope? No, it's a, it's a thing. Is it a thing um, where you can have a gas yeah. attack that you mistake for a heart attack? Does that actually yes. happen in life? Yes, and vice versa. Um, you can have a heart attack that a doctor will be like, it's just gas. Um, but um, uh, fart and go home, Dick. We're not keeping <laughs> you overnight because you had gas, for Christ's sake. This is one of those things where the doctor's like, you're, you've got gas, go home. Yeah. You know, we've got him in a private room in a hospital, <laughs> taking up a fucking hospital bed in a private room. What kind of insurance does he have? Jesus. Because this motherfucker needs to fart. All right, go on. <laughs> We're going to keep him overnight. We're going to see how these farts work themselves out. We're very <laughs> concerned about Dick Van Patten's hole. <laughs> so the doctor is played by Jeffrey Allen Chandler who has many, many credits as a working character actor. And uh, I didn't take too deep a dive on him, but I did notice he was a regular on the wonderful TV show, Cop Rock. (laughs) (laughs) Remember Cop Rock? (laughs) Uh, So Uh. upon the first listen, the first viewing of this, I was angry at this, um, I wanna sell the house. And Dick Van Patten even says earlier, I went by the house and I realized we don't live there anymore. And there's so many memories and stuff. And a part of it was like, well, what the fuck is it doing? Does he not live there? She she left. Well, he said the tenants have made him a wonderful offer. Yes, that's it. In, in took me the second viewing to hear that line. I missed it the first time. So the tenants meaning they are at the moment using it as a rental property. That's great. Okay, good. At least they are talking about that. Now, granted, they haven't been divorced uh, that long. But, um, well. Yeah, I was so angry at the fact that they walk in and here's Dick Van Patten. Oh, you've met Noreen. And his eyeballs go to the left and the right and the left and the right like oh you've met noreen yikes jinkies <laughs> <sighs> could have introduced um, him 
could have brought I her with you. Had... Well, it was just that eyeball back and forth, like, yeah, Roro, you McNoreen. <laughs> I, I, at this point, I was like, God damn it, why wasn't a heart attack? <laughs> but Beverly Hen does say a wonderful line that I love because we know how bitter she is over this breakup. The fact that he just dumped her to go off and be with the secretary. And uh, this is not the secretary, by the way, Lois Nettleton, right. one of the little bits cut out in the syndicated version when he sits down on the couch in that first scene, she does say something like, how's the trollop? And he says, <laughs> I'm not with the trollop. I mean, Susie anymore or whatever. So the, Lois Nettleton is not the secretary with whom he... Uh, had the affair and left Beverly Ann. This is someone else. Um, and again, how long have they been apart? I guess it's been about a year. We know that there were troubles in the marriage and Mrs. Garrett went to visit Beverly Ann about a year ago to get her through it. So, uh, okay, whatever. But Beverly Ann says, I will sell that house over your dead body and get well soon. And out she goes, perfectly delivered by Cloris brilliantly she why and i guess i guess i don't i'm not a homeowner so i'm not sure like why would you still want to own a co-own a house with your ex-husband that you hate exactly like, what, there's what, no what, reason what you, for it fuck I, I mean i guess if she's making money maybe off of the rental property maybe i don't know yeah but i mean i don't know but when you sell it you split the, the proceeds from it and you can, there's a certain amount that you're not taxed on. I mean, there's, when you, when you sell a house, it's, I, I don't see what the bad is, but it, well, we get into it a little bit in this next scene, the scene between her and Orson. Uh, and he does say to her, you've never mentioned that house before. Why is it now suddenly so important? And she says, you don't understand what the house means to me. And then he goes into a story about a car that was a connection to his ex-wife. And he says, sometimes you just got to move on. And so she says, you think I'm using the house to hold on to Frank? And he says, if the house fits. And then she says, I don't think we're relating to each other well. And Joe comes in and there's this moment of tension that I'm like, I don't know where this moment of tension came from. It could have been, this is a little bit modern, I'm aware, for her to say, well, you asked me, why the house is so important. Why don't you let me answer instead of telling me your story? That would have been a little bit more pointed. It would have been true for her to call him out on that shit. But uh, that would have at least created a, a, a more honest moment of tension. But uh, he leaves just sweet and nice. He says, I don't think we're relating to each other. No, he says, I can see you have a lot on your mind. Why don't I let you work things out when you have? I'd love to get a call from you. So it almost sounds like uh, this, this is clearly the thing that is breaking us up. When, in fact, the advice he gives is not wrong. It's not off base. It just would have helped if he had listened a little more as opposed to talking. That's the only thing I'll, I'll fault Orson for this scene. I just wonder why that was like... We're, we're, had he signed like a five episode deal or something and they realized halfway through this episode oh shit this is Orson Bean's fifth episode like yeah. by putting him in that scene at the beginning and then they were like oh fuck now we gotta write him out oh fuck okay 
So I, I, I just, why did, the he, end, why did Oliver have to go? They broke but, up. And at the end, she says, I have Andy, I have the girls, I have Oliver. She does say, I have him. So it's not like in her mind in that final scene that they're not together anymore. He's just a boyfriend. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that is it. Maybe the writer's intention was, you have a lot on your mind. Let me let you think about it. like, and give me a call, like call me tomorrow. Like maybe they, maybe yeah. that's how, maybe they didn't think it was as final as we took it to be. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's very possible. Then the um, next scene, Beverly Ann interrupts the girls in the store. The girls are working in the store. Let it be known. All fucking four of them are on the clock. Bitch. All or nothing, bitches. Beverly Ann comes in, and this is where we try to tie together our A story and our B story. The girls are talking about Joe and this career thing. And Beverly Ann comes in directly from this interchange with Orson. And she's like, that, that, keep going. Don't let me interrupt you. And so as they're talking about the other subject, Joe is like, well, you know, there's a lot of possibilities in the future. I've got this. I, I don't even remember what the fuck she says, but Beverly Ann quickly into it's okay. I know what you're doing. You think you're really talking about me and my situation and trying to give me some advice under the guise of talking about Joe's situation. And the girls beautifully are like, no, we're not. And a great Tootie moment, I think, is when she says, Tootie, look me in the eye and tell me you have no idea what I'm talking about. And Kim Fields crushes the deadest of deadpans. I have no idea what you are talking about. It, beautifully done. Brava. That is, it was the best line reading of the goddamn episode. I, I agree. I'm, I'm as surprised as you are that it went to duty. But <laughs> yeah, it was. That was right up there with the episode where, where she finds out how much Natalie spent. And her response was, oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that so was a post-Christmas was- card. Yeah. Wasn't it? Oh, my. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> so after this, Beverly Ann goes, says, I need to go talk to Frank. And she leaves and goes to the hospital. I need support. Will the one of you that is afraid of hospitals come with me? Yeah. Brings Joe because we need a ridiculous cartoon gag for the end of this show of her dashing out like Fred fucking Flintstone. So uh, Beverly Ann goes to the hospital. Frank is asleep and He's sleeping in the middle of the goddamn day. He just had gas, everybody. (laughs) All he had to do was fart. They're making it like he just went through fucking open heart surgery. (laughs) All he had had was gas. And it's like four in the afternoon. It's after six o'clock, I guess, because she does say it's I thought sleep uh, visiting hours were over. But. I mean, he's fucking sleep. He's uh, anyway, Dick. All right. I'd be, I walk in there and be like, wake the fuck up. You had gas. Yeah. <laughs> wake up, farty McGee. All right. Ugh. They do this weird thing when Noreen does show up. We'll get back to what Beverly Ann does in a minute. But when Noreen does show up, there is this bitchy adversarial thing going on with her saying, why can't we be friends? And Noreen beautifully delivered. I wish we had met under other circumstances. We might have almost liked each other. And shit like that. And a great way to have started this off would have been if she says, oh, I thought visiting hours were over. And have Beverly and go, oh, are they? Well, how did you get in? 
and have her say, well, family only. That would have been a nice little dig like, bitch, I'm the one that's married to him, not you. That would have been an interesting thing, but uh, that's... Well, and I think it's interesting to explore the fact that we're seeing their relationship from Beverly Ann's standpoint, where it was a surprise and it was it was sprung on her and she wasn't ready for it. Whereas we also need to look at the <laughs> we also must dissect the fact that <laughs> that um, that what's your pussy, the new um, the new wife, Noreen, her side of the story is she's heard about her new husband flighty batshit ex-wife she walks into the hospital room she's here oh god (laughs) and and she's refusing to sell the fucking house Mm -hmm. so she has every right to be like oh this bitch you know i I guess from her side of the story she doesn't know if beverly ann how beverly ann was hurt she -hmm. just has heard what he has given her about him he has created this person that she knows as Beverly Ann that we don't know as Beverly Ann. I'm just saying. There I are two there sides to every story. Divorce is a two-way street. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So her character has every right to be like, we almost could have liked each other, bitch. <laughs> Sell the fucking house, you crazy bitch. Showing up in my, hus- my farty husband's hospital room while he's sleeping. Get the fuck out. She has every right. <laughs> How would you like it if you were at your fucking husband's hospital bed, even though he just had the farts and <laughs> fucking his ex-boyfriend is sitting there? How would you? You'd be like, um, excuse me, bitch. It's time for you to go. So I'm team. I'm team. Team. What's her pussy? Team what Noreen. Her pussy? Noreen. Oh, God. No. Yeah. OK. Yeah, that's a terrible name. Anyway. But um. So what we have before she shows up, though, before Frank wakes up, Beverly Ann is monologuing that wonderful yes. sitcom thing. She even has the letter that Frank left when he dumped her. And as she starts to read it, thankfully, it's interrupted. But um, <laughs> here's the deal. After this thing, the conversation with Noreen, the, the bitch fest, and then suddenly she comes out with, I realized I don't need to hold on to the past anymore. I have Andy, I have the girls, I have Oliver, and I have myself. Send the papers, Frank. I will sign them. We'll sell the house. And it's kind of one of those, so the the denouement of the episode is she realized. She had a thought and realized and Uh, Here's my little fix. This is what I would like to send back in the time machine. Considering she and Orson kind of had a little bit of a fight over his trying to be supportive, but not supporting her. When she goes to talk to the girls, she's on the defensive about them trying to give her advice when they're like, we're not trying to give you and tell you what to do. Wouldn't it have been cool if she said, As I was driving over here, Frank, I was thinking, I have a great fellow that I'm seeing. And we kind of got into a little bit of a fight earlier. I have these four amazing women that I live with, and they clearly respect me and my boundaries. And yet I left them having kind of yelled at them. I'm aware this is a very modern thing. But to have Beverly Ann acknowledge that neither of those interactions went well from her standpoint. 
with these people that she's close to. So have her say to Frank, or you know, whether it's the monologue or to his face, and have her say, and as I drove here, I thought, what the hell is wrong with me? That you walking through my front door was, was able to make me forget that I have this great guy and these supportive women. On top of the fact that I have a kid now, I'm about to be a mother for the first time in my life and I have a career. And then she can say, I have all of these things. And Frank, the one thing clearly that is wrong and out of whack here is you. So you are gone, I'm signing and I'm done. I'm putting it behind me. I would have loved that because it would have then connected what happened earlier into Beverly Ann's realization. He must have given her the D like nobody's business. <laughs> he must have had a gold one. Mm. <laughs> I say that all the time, quoting your grandmother. I say that Jesus. all the time. And then what ends with is earlier in the episode, Frank had a little finger tapping thing that she mentions always drove her crazy. And Frank is tapping his fingers. And then Beverly Ann, like he stops for Beverly Ann's sake. And she says to Noreen, doesn't that drive you crazy? And she says, doesn't what drive me crazy? At which point she says, I hope you have a happy marriage. That little thing of, well, clearly you're perfect for each other because he's not driving you out of your fucking mind right now. Isn't tapping your fingers something that you do when your mind is wandering? Like, he's like, I've got my ex-wife and my current wife both sitting on my hospital bed because I've got the farts. Let me remind <laughs> you, there was no open heart surgery. I've got the fucking farts. <laughs> and I've got my ex-wife on one side and my current wife on the other. Ah. Yep. Get the Fuck out, Dick Van Patten. Uh, couldn't even deliver that to, to make it look natural or uh, just, it was, anyway. Yeah. I give this zero stars. Oh, I, this is no. My, you, and, you, it's, uh, and it's not because it's fa of Facts of Life or the writing per se. It is purely because of Dick Van Patten. I don't know why. I don't <laughs> I don't had know why no I hate idea. him so much. Yeah, I had no I didn't idea. Know either. Oh, okay. This either. was this was a real okay. This keep, was news to you too. Okay, wow. Yeah, fast. Because admittedly, all I've ever seen him in is Spaceballs. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Was, I mean, Did you see you know, High Anxiety? I mean, probably. Yeah, but like He's I've only ever seen anxiety. him in that in that kind of broad comedy. So, yeah. other than you know regular like you know you'd see him on fucking tv every once in a while whatever yeah I, I feel like he had to have been toned down a little bit because eight is enough was a single camera sitcom it was more like a film so it was less of a you know performance presentational thing for the audience i feel like he was a little more subdued in eight is enough we can we could maybe pull up some videos and explore that at some point that's all right <laughs> We're good. You're going to force me. I know it. You're going to force me to watch that fucking Love Boat episode. Maybe. So, <laughs> if, you, if you've enjoyed listening to me hate Dick Van Patten. Tune into TV Talkaholics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where we watch a fucking Love Boat with him on it. Well, that wraps up this week. Next week, we're going to be watching season eight, episode 21, called Younger Than Springtime which had an original air date of March 21st, 1987. 
the video is available at dailymotion.com. The link is in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. And uh, with nothing else to add to that, all we have left to say is thank you for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Ugh, see how I said it like Dick Van Patten and ruined it? You're welcome. Thanks, Dick. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.